You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. So this is our last sermon in a series of messages on marriage. And what I want to talk about today, I want to start by talking about single people and how we do singleness that prepares us for our married years. So the first half of this sermon is really for you single people. This last half will be for married people. But let's talk about three marriage killers. Here's the first one. Casual dating. Casual dating is where people are dating, relating, sleeping together. We're breaking commandments and we don't even know if we're going to get married. Are we just dating? What are we doing? Uh, are, Are we even just hanging out? And so for relationships, the Bible has a lot to say about relationships. And in the book, in the Old Testament, sometimes it's called Song of Solomon, sometimes Song of Songs. It's one of the great love stories in the Bible. And it says this. Young women of Jerusalem, this is Solomon speaking, young women of Jerusalem, promise me never to awaken love before it is ready. When you're fallen in love, that's the time to get to know each other. And then when you're married, to live together, sleep together. And the problem is when we do things out of order, then there's confusion. Now, the reason I tell you this is because we are all born into a broken and fallen world. And how many of you, when you're younger, your top two issues statistically are marriage and parenting? You want to get married, but you're a little scared. It may be because you saw your parents' marriage, which wasn't something to be modeled. You want to have kids, but maybe you're worried about that because they may have to go through the things that you had to go through as a kid. And it scares you. So you try and figure out how to deal with this problem, how to get around it. Well, the problem really starts in our dating, relating, cohabitating, casual relationships. And the result is today in an age of casual dating, people are waiting longer to marry. For the first time in our nation's history, more adults are single. That's 18 and up. Although 90% of single people will get married, they're waiting longer. The average age of the man is 30. The average age of the woman is her late 20s. So in the dating phase, what happens is comparison and competition. And casual dating produces a comparison. Well, they're tall, they're short, they're, they're smart, they're fun, they're rich, they're poor, they're this and this. And you start comparing, oh, I like this about them and I like this about them. And lo and behold, then you get into one exclusive relationship and you're discouraged. You're a little disappointed. You know Why? Because that one person cannot be and do all that that parade of people before them added up to be. And then sometimes we think of a consumer mentality. We think, oh, well, I surely like that other person a lot better. And they're looking at you going, well, you're no catch. (laughs) So it creates comparison. And the Bible says we're supposed to be committed solely to our spouse. And it sets up competition. 
So we've taken these free market ideas, which aren't necessarily bad, but we've put them into romantic relationships, which are tragic. So let's say, for example, you're shopping for a car. You go to a dealership and you, you, you reach out to the salesperson. You say, okay, what kind of deal are you going to give me for a car? And you get the, the deal terms. And then you're going to go to the next dealership and you're going to say to them, hey, they were willing to give me a free eight-track player and air conditioning and tires. <laughs> what are you willing to do? And if it's worth something, then... You may have my business. If not, I'm going to go somewhere else. That may be a great way to buy a car. It's a bad way to get a spouse. You go to one person, okay, what are you willing to do? It's like you're trying to negotiate a good deal. Okay, well, this is your best. So I'm going to take this to my next boyfriend or girlfriend. All right, what can you do? Oh, so you'll let me live with you and, and rent free and, huh, if I get a car out of this deal, I'll be yours. And a deal is negotiated, and we call it casual dating. If you've seen The Bachelor or Bachelorette, that's pretty much what they're doing. Now, this leads us to the next step. So it starts with casual dating. That's marriage killer number one. And it leads to cohabitation. That's marriage killer number two. Here's what you need to know. God created invented marriage. Here's what we're told in Genesis 2. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. We've highlighted this through this series on marriage. I will make a helper suitable for him. Skipping down just a few verses. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So God invented marriage. Our country doesn't know that. If you ask the average person, what's marriage? Well, there's really no clear definition of marriage. It's because we've lost our understanding that God is a relational God. He created marriage. He created the terms and conditions of marriage. And it will only really work when we follow the design of the one who created it and knows how it's supposed to work. That's why if you will obey God, both of you, husband and wife, if you will obey God, you practically have a 100% chance of success. If not, your odds decrease dramatically. Here's what the Bible says about intimate relations in marriage. Marriage should be honored by all. That's for you single people, that's for you married people. And the marriage bed, first of all, in the Bible, there's no such thing as a girlfriend bed or a boyfriend bed. All there is is a marriage bed. Kept pure. That is the symbol of the sacredness of the covenant of marriage. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. You see, 
the world in its wisdom does not know God. The world in its wisdom does not obey God. The world in its wisdom does not lead to life and flourishing. And you can't expect to do things that defile God and God bless them. And so what God is saying is, here's my marriage plan. We are to see the covenant consummation of the marriage bed as a sacred thing, as something that's special in God's sight. Now, let me ask the question, why is it that single people move in together? It's because they think they're taking a half step toward marriage to see whether or not they actually want to get married. The intent is this. I've seen so much devastation, so much pain, so much misery in marriage I would like to enter marriage, but I'm afraid to take that big step. So maybe if we move in together, we'll take a half step and we'll just kind of test drive. You know, like we'll try before we buy. Statistically, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Because what cohabitation is, it is practice for divorce, not marriage. In marriage, two people become one. That's the teaching of the Bible. You heard it in Genesis. Jesus reiterates that in Matthew and and Mark. The Apostle Paul will say the same thing in Ephesians chapter 5. That's why you have one last name. You sleep in one bed. You go to one church. You worship one God. You live one life together. Cohabitation is where two people are like train tracks. You have your life. I have my life. You have your Checking account, I have my checking account. You have your religion, I have my religion. And we'll be train tracks side by side. And for some reason, we just don't work out. That's okay. I'll venture on without you. Covenant is where two become one. Cohabitation is two are two. And the results are staggering. Cohabitation is not helpful. Let me give you some of the statistics. Cohabitation increases your divorce rate significantly. Whereas couples who don't live together and they get married tend to be married far more frequently. Stay married, that is. In addition, depression is three times higher for cohabitating couples than it is for married couples. And women are twice as likely to be physically abused in a cohabitating versus married relationship and let me tell you something as a dad when you're single this looks a whole lot different than when you're a dad let me just talk to the dads in here for a moment now for those of you who are dads how about when you were single you might have thought well she should move into my house and take care of all of my needs and I'll see if she is fitting for me to marry. And if she doesn't live up to my expectations, I'll just trade her in for another one. As a single guy, you're like, okay, sounds like a good deal. As a dad, you see it differently. If that was your daughter, is that how you would think? Dads? (laughs) No. If it's your daughter and a guy comes up to you and says, I'm kind of dating and sleeping around and I think I'm willing to let your daughter be one of my potential test drives and she is to look after me. And if she meets my approval and outcompetes all the other women, then I'll put a ring on her finger. What do you think, dad? 
I'm thinking the police will be called. (laughs) How about those who practice chastity before marriage? Then they get married. Higher rates of happiness, higher rates of satisfaction, lower rates of conflict, lower rates of divorce. I want you to know something about me and Lori. She okayed me to say this. She was here at the early service as well. We're not goody two-shoes, prim and proper people. And I don't think I've ever shared this with anyone because it's just not a subject that comes up. So when I was in college, I lived off campus by myself, public university. I've had one sexual partner my whole life. And so has Lori. Maybe we're a rare breed. I hope not. And the third marriage killer is contractual thinking. It's thinking of like contract. We touched on this two weeks ago. Contractual thinking is what leads to casual dating. It's when you try to find a spouse the same way you find a car. You test drive, you make them compete, you get the best deal. It's contractual thinking that leads to cohabitation. You try before you buy, lease to own. Let's practice this thing called marriage and see if it works for us. That's the result of contractual thinking. And it works like this. When when people take a business model approach to their spouse or their children, and it absolutely decimates the entire family. So the Bible doesn't see loving, intimate relationships as contractual. It sees them as covenantal. And you can't get this apart from the Bible. This is exclusively the domain of the God of the Bible. Let me give you two examples of covenant marriage, and we'll compare and contrast that to contractual thinking. In Malachi 2.14, God is talking to some men who are not loving and being kind and generous and gracious toward their wives. And so he has to rebuke them. And he says, she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. There's that word covenant. This is a whole different way of thinking of relationships. It says this as well in Proverbs chapter 2. The father is warning his son about a certain kind of woman who is dangerous. And there are men like this as well. It says... Save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. What he's saying is, look, son, you're growing up. You're about to enter the world. There are certain people who are married and they're supposed to be in a covenant with God. They're supposed to be in a covenant with each other. But they forsake that. They abandon that. And the result is they start tempting others to do forbidden things and forsaking their covenant commitment. Some of you have problems, but they're not problems in your marriage. They're problems of your marriage. You're trying to negotiate term deals like two people that are adversarial, trying to negotiate a trade agreement, a a business deal. And as a result, you're always fighting and arguing over the terms of the deal. Well, I want to take a step back. I want to look at the big picture and ask, is your relationship with your spouse, is your relationship with your kids, is your relationship with God, is it 
contractual or is it covenantal? Because if it's contractual, you don't just need some adjustments. You need a complete reorientation and re-understanding of relationships. I'm going to share this with you. Here's the difference between covenant and contract. A contract is between two people. So you're in business. You're negotiating a business deal, right? It's, it's between you and that other person, just the two of you. A covenant is with God. That's why you get married in a Christian service that's designed as worship, and you take vows in the presence of God. It's us and the Lord. So we're not independent. We're not isolated on our own. In a contract, I am seeking my own interests, right? But in a covenant, I'm seeking God's glory. You see, a sports or, or business approach would be, I'm going to find their weakness, I'm going to exploit it, so I win. That's contract. <laughs> Don't do that in your marriage. You'll lose when you win. Instead of seeking my best interest, I'm seeking God's glory and our mutual interests because we are one. Ultimately, the contract is <laughs> you win, I lose, or vice versa. That's what we're fighting over. That's one of us has to win. In a marriage, God is glorified and we both win. That's good for us. That's good for our relationship. That's good for our union and communion. In a contract, we're negotiating the terms. If you do this, then I'll do that. Well, I won't do that until you agree to do this. But in a covenant, we don't negotiate terms. We serve each other. Like I serve you, you serve me. I love you, you love me. I'll take care of you, you take care of me. Not because we have some big chore chart that we got to fill out and complete. And if you miss one assignment, then you get a demerit. A contract keeps a record of performance. In a covenant, it says in 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of wrong. Some of you, you're with someone and it feels like every day is a performance review. Well, emotionally, I'll give you a C, spiritually a D, physically a B minus, and mentally a C plus. Maybe you'll do better next time. Covenant says, I forgive you when you fail. Because you see, the good news is not you have to win or I have to win. It's that God wins. And so we worship and we do whatever's right in the sight of God. So let me talk a little bit more about covenant relationships. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul says, But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. This is covenantal thinking, and this is what dominates the Bible. And when it speaks in the covenant of someone who is head, that means that person is responsible for the well-being and oversight of everyone in that covenant. So God is head over all of us. He is charged with the well-being and oversight of us if we will listen. So we have a covenant relationship with God. 
I've got to have a covenant relationship with my wife and, and family. So here's how this works in the family. Husband and wife love each other, and the husband is the covenant head. Now, any guy in here who hears that and says, look, the Bible says right there, I'm the boss. You've missed the point. And you need a gut punch. The husband doesn't think like that. Because Jesus doesn't come and say, hey, I'm the boss. He comes and he says, I love you. I forgive you. I'm devoted to you. I'll never leave you. The relationship with you is secure. You can count on me. And we say, thank you, Jesus. So if you're a Christian, you don't have a contractual relationship with God through Christ. And aren't you glad we don't? Because in most religions, in fact, I would say in every other religion, people have a contractual relationship with their God. Their God says, go to Mecca. Their God says, bow down to me these times a day. Their God says, you got to reincarnate to pay back your debt, your sin. Their God says, you better find out a way to do more good than you do bad in your life. Because then maybe, at the end, there'll be something for you, at least not punishment for you. And so you're just basing all of this on fear and you're trying to obey the terms and you're trying not to ruin the contract so that you don't end up set on fire at the end, right? Your relationship with Jesus Christ is covenantal. He loves you before you loved him. He pursues you before you desired him. He creates a safe, unbroken union and communion for you. And in the context of that loving relationship, he deals with the issues and he helps you to change. That's what a covenant relationship is. Let me say this as well. Some of us still try to do contractual relationships with God. If so, you're the if-then Lord people. Lord, if you give me a better girlfriend, then I'll stop sleeping with my current girlfriend. And God's like, no, that's not my deal. I didn't sign off on that one. Or some people are like, well, God, if you'll give me this great job, then I'll tithe 20%. Otherwise, you're getting zero. Lord, if you will heal them, I'll worship you. And if you don't, I'll curse you. It's your choice, Lord. Make a decision. How many of you have tried to negotiate a deal with God? And have you learned that he doesn't negotiate? Some of you are very frustrated by him. Like he just doesn't negotiate. Well, I think that's what it means to be Lord. It's one of the perks. And what happens is some people get angry or disappointed or frustrated with God because they told him their terms and conditions and he didn't meet them. God's like, that. well, that's the whole problem. The thing that you have written down or, or what you've written down on your heart, that thing is a bunch of expectations and demands upon me to submit to you and your agenda and your terms. Otherwise, you'll punish me. And God says, I do contract never. I do covenant forever. That's how God works. How many of you are really glad that you have a covenant relationship with God through Christ? 
But if we have a covenant relationship with Jesus, then we've got to have a covenant relationship with our spouse. And when it comes to this issue of covenant, let me give you a couple of concepts. Sometimes in your Bible, it's translated as covenant love, loving kindness, or steadfast love. The Hebrew word is chesed. And if you're not spitting when you're saying it, you're not doing it right. It gets translated in English as steadfast love, covenant love. I'm going to quote to you the Jesus storybook Bible of what covenant love is. Never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's covenant love. That's what God has for you and for me. And let me tell you what this means. Here's the difference between covenant and contract. If you have a contractual view of God, spouse, family, close friends, issues are always above relationship. If you will meet my needs, we can have a relationship. If you'll do what I say, I'll love you. If you agree to my terms, we're okay. But the relationship is always in jeopardy because issues are hanging over the relationship and that relationship gets destroyed once those issues start acting out. That's contractual thinking. Covenantal thinking is the relationship is more important than the issues. That way the relationship can be strong so that you can approach and deal with any issue. I've seen couples divorce over things that are not really that big of a deal. And the reason they end up in such a precarious and painful place is because they decided to enforce the terms of the deal. And if it's not an agreement, then the relationship is done. But I want you to know that the relationship is more important than the issues. And what that means is if the relationship is strong and loving and secure, then we can actually deal with any issues. And one way that Sometimes we deal with those issues as we realize they're really not that big of a deal. Some of those issues are not worth the pain of severing the relationship over. So here's how God works with us. He works out a loving, gracious, merciful, forgiving, devoted, unconditional, unbreakable covenant relationship. And he is loving. He is safe. He is kind. He is gracious. The Bible says that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And then God, because he is safe and loving and good, when he wants to address an issue in your life, he's not saying, hey, you better deal with this issue or our relationship is off. Instead, what he says is, I love you so much. And this issue is harming our intimacy. How about we deal with that issue so that we can draw closer, we can have a better relationship? I'm going to have a relationship with you, God says, no matter what, but I'd rather have a really good relationship. How about we deal with the issue? Then our relationship can be better. You get that? That's our relationship with Jesus. That's what it means to be in a covenant relationship with each other. Now, whatever's going on in your marriage, the only way you're going to fix this is by relying on that covenant love of God. God basically says, you know what? 
I'm going to send my son, Jesus, because you people don't know how to do covenant. And I'm sending Jesus, and he's going to take responsibility for those things that he didn't even do. And he's going to take on everything in your life, every issue, every past mistake, every failure, everything that you would think of as wrong, every sin, every flaw. And God says he is going to pursue you in love. And you're going to hate him and you're going to kill him. And he's going to resurrect because my son is so committed to the covenant that not even death can prevent him from pursuing you in a loving relationship. So you can count on me, God says. And that Jesus that you're going to die and and he's going to come back, he's going to come back so he can wrap his loving arms around you. And he's going to put you into a covenant with me and him. And you're going to learn what covenant love is all about so that you can begin to experience that with others. You see, as God's people, we need to think covenantially, not contractually. And this flows through the home. So in your marriage, this is husband and wife making a covenant commitment to each other. Here's how that sounds. It's each of you saying, I vow to walk with God. Bible reading, prayer, church involvement. I vow to make you a priority over all other people. I vow to seek to be a healthy, safe, wise person for you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and failures. I will forgive you of your sins and failures. I vow to be a good friend to you, to grow old with you, to make memories and have fun. And I believe that you are God's best for me. You'd be surprised at the number of couples that would love to hear that and experience that from their spouse. And it would make all the difference in the world. So right now, if you're here as a couple, I want to ask the husbands to do something. And think about in the future, if you're a guy and you're going to get married, this is for you. Or if you're a, a, a woman who's not now married, think about how meaningful this would be to have a husband who would do this. Right now, if you're a couple, I'm going to ask the husbands to do something. Since the Bible says that you're the head of the wife, I want you to take a moment and pray over your wife. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.